Lebanon to Tyrone, Scottsdale to Jeffersonville, this is Lincoln Radio Journal. On this edition, a group of lawmakers in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives have formed a chapter of the State Freedom Caucus Network to fight for traditional conservative principles. Andy Roth of the State Freedom Caucus Network is here with details. Prospects for natural gas production at the Pittsburgh International Airport have dimmed, and revenue from those wells has dropped. Frank Gamrad and Eric Montardi have an Allegheny Institute report on the impact. And the 2021-22 session of the Pennsylvania Legislature has ended, and a new session is set to begin. Ashley Klingensmith from Americans for Prosperity Pennsylvania talks about priorities for the new session on this week's Lincoln Radio Journal Commentary. I'm Loman Henry, and welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. We'll get to Andy Roth from the State Freedom Caucus Network in just a couple of minutes, but first, news headlines from patownhall.com. Governor Ron DeSantis leads former President Donald Trump 45% to 40% in a hypothetical matchup in the 2024 Pennsylvania presidential primary. The survey was commissioned by Commonwealth Partners and was taken November 19th through 21st. The former president has been blamed by some in the GOP for the party's poor showing in the recent general election, which saw its candidates for U.S. Senator and Governor defeated by Democrats. Pennsylvania's presidential primary is relatively late in the nation's primary schedule, currently planned for late April of 2024. State Senator John Gordner has announced his resignation to become counsel to interim Senate President Pro Tempore Kim Ward. Gordner, a Republican, has represented Columbia, Luzerne, Montour, Northumberland, and Snyder counties in the state Senate since 2003. Previous to that, he served 10 years in the state House of Representatives. A special election will be held to replace Gordner in what is a heavily Republican district. Speaking of elections, seats on Pennsylvania's three statewide appellate courts will be on the ballot in 2023, and the open seat on the state Supreme Court is already generating considerable attention. This past week, Montgomery County Court of Common Pleas President Judge Caroline Carluccio announced she will be a candidate for the Republican nomination. Currently, there are four Democrats and two Republicans on the high court, with one vacancy due to the recent death of Chief Justice Max Baer. Read about all things Pennsylvania at patownhall.com. The Freedom Caucus has been the backbone of preserving traditional conservative principles in the U.S. House of Representatives. Now similar groups are being formed in state legislatures across the nation. Pennsylvania is the latest to join the State Freedom Caucus Network, Andy Roth is president of the State Freedom Caucus Network, and he is here with details. Andy, welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. Andy, the Freedom Caucus has been active for many, many years now in the United States House of Representatives. Tell us a bit about what that caucus is and what its goals are at the national level. Back in 2010, as some of your listeners may be aware of, there was sort of a Tea Party wave. And a lot of really good conservatives were elected that year and before that and after that. But that was kind of a big year. But 
the conservatives in the Congress, in the U.S. Congress, weren't very organized. And finally, in 2015, a small number of them were able to come together and create the, the House Freedom Caucus. And this is, you know, we like to call it the conservative North Star in the U.S. House. And basically, that means that if there's any debate, if there's any issue, if a president on either side of the aisle is pushing for any kind of bill to pass, if you want to know what the conservative response is to that bill or to that issue, you look to the House Freedom Caucus. They're the most reliable, consistent, loud conservatives in Congress. And so some of the names that started it uh, are probably familiar with your listeners. They include Congressman Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, who is no longer in the House, but he was President Trump's chief of staff, and even Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, uh, were founding members of the House Freedom Caucus. So it is the, the North Star. They are the gold standard for conservatism in the U.S. Congress. Are there particular issues or an issue set that the Freedom Caucus works toward? They believe in sort of the three legs of the stool for conservatism, faith, family, and freedom, and in a strong national defense. They believe strongly in uh, economic freedom, individual liberties, limited government. They're also fighting against what is becoming a leftist progressive agenda uh, in these cultural wars. They are trying to basically stop the tendency of our government and a lot of the private actors in our country from turning into a socialist nation. And so they spend every day that they possibly can fighting for those issues. And last year, Andy, the State Freedom Caucus Network was founded, of which you are the president. Tell us a bit about what the State Freedom Caucus Network is and why do we have it? We saw the success of the House Freedom Caucus in Congress, and so we worked with them directly. This includes Andy Biggs, the former chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, and now Pennsylvania's own Scott Perry. He's the current chairman. We've been working with them directly to create essentially what is a farm team for the House Freedom Caucus. So what we try to do is create a state freedom caucus to be a 365-day, out-of-the-year watchdog for limited government and economic freedom and to fight the culture war that's going on. So last December, we launched this effort, this nationwide effort, and we called it the State Freedom Caucus Network. And as the name implies, it is a network of state freedom caucuses. The very first one we launched was in Georgia, the Georgia Freedom Caucus. Then uh, after that, and I'll just reel off the names, after that, we went to Mississippi, South Carolina, Nevada, Illinois, South Dakota, Arizona, and now Pennsylvania is our eighth Freedom Caucus. Our plan is to launch a couple more before the end of the year, so we'll have 10 in 2022, and then uh, we hope to launch another 10 to 15 next year, so that we'll be in half of the states by the end of 2023. Tell us more about the State Freedom Caucus here in Pennsylvania, Andy. Who is heading it, and how many folks do you have involved here getting it launched? So the way it works is we try to identify who the most conservative members are of a state legislature. And in Pennsylvania, that was pretty easy. Uh, it was State Rep Don Kiefer and State Rep David Rowe. They represent the chairman and the vice chairman of our new Pennsylvania Freedom Caucus. 
They, along with approximately 20 other colleagues, formed the Pennsylvania Freedom Caucus. And so whenever the Democrats are pushing some big government bill, the Pennsylvania Freedom Caucus will be fighting it. Similarly, if the the GOP establishment is going along with the Democrats to push a big government bill, the Pennsylvania Freedom Caucus is going to expose that hypocrisy and, and announce their opposition. The Pennsylvania Freedom Caucus will do three things, or four things, rather. They're going to vote together. They're going to plan together. They're going to defend each other. And they're also going to be loud about what they do. And when I say loud, I don't mean screaming. I just mean that they're, they're not going to just quietly vote the correct way and go on their business. They're going to make sure that every voter in the Commonwealth understands what the conservative position is and makes everybody accountable for it. I would imagine, as you have announced these uh, Freedom Caucuses in each state, Andy, that the response from the left has probably been loud in a screaming sort of way. Yeah, it's it's very it's very predictable. The the left can't stand the idea that Republicans are are going to be organized and loud about defending limited government. But what's even more atrocious is that a lot of Republicans don't like this either. The thing that has surprised me most about these state capitals is that there are a lot of unanimous votes or or near unanimous votes where Republicans and Democrats come together to pass stuff. Whether it's in blue states where Democrats are just have a lock on the state capital, Republicans go along with it. And you, you have to ask yourself why. And the reason why is because they know they're going to be in the permanent minority. So they ask for some of the crumbs off of the Democrats' policy table just so that they can go back home and say that they got something done. And that's not what conservative Republicans are for. And in deep red states, the exact opposite happens is Republicans team up with Democrats to pass big government stuff. And the only people that are voting against it are conservative Republicans. So the State Freedom Caucus Network and the Freedom Caucus as a whole entity, we have our work cut out for us because big government is growing and growing and growing every day. And sometimes it feels like we're the only ones screaming and yelling, stop. But our hope is that if we get loud enough, we organize a, a, a coalition of supporters behind us, that we're going to be able to turn the tide on this thing and, and start fixing our country. Will there also be a proactive agenda, specific goals that the caucus might try to get enacted into law? That's a great question, because if you think about it right now, all of the big problems in our country are actually happening at the state level. You know, all the media attention is happening in Congress, of course. There's inflation. There's the war in Ukraine. There's all sorts of national issues that are consuming our, our, our attention. But think about the really big issues that are affecting the elections, like school choice, critical race theory, and what is being taught in our schools. You have hospitals that are conducting transgender surgeries on minors, which is just atrocious and is criminal. But then you also have election integrity problems. You have police reform. You have ESG, which is kind of a term that people are slowly learning, which stands for environmental, social, and governance concerns. It's basically a way for the government to keep a social credit score for every single constituent or voter or citizen. 
and keep track of their behavior so that they can use it against them later. These things are happening at the state level and nobody's paying attention to it. And so those are the kinds of issues that we're going to bring forward so that people learn about it and will oppose it and or or support it, like in the case of school choice. But these are definitely things that, that, that the citizens of this country are going to learn more and more about as we go forward. We have been talking with Andy Roth, who is president of the State Freedom Caucus Network. They just announced their Pennsylvania chapter. And Andy, if we have folks who would like to learn more about the national organization, and I would assume also more details on the Pennsylvania organization, where can they go on the web? Yeah, they can go to statefreedomcaucus.org. And if they go there, they can do a couple things. One, they can see the map of the United States and see the states where we're represented and where we're not. And if any state lawmaker is listening to this or any concerned citizen, they can drop us a note through our website to help us organize in a state that we're not currently located in. That's one thing they can do. They can also uh, join our email list and get up-to-date news on all the things that we're doing. One last thing they can do is they can go to my Twitter handle. Uh, It's at Andy Roth. That's A-N-D-Y-R-O-T-H. I routinely, daily uh, post all of the things that are going on in all of our State Freedom Caucuses. So that's a good way to stay up-to-date as well. Andy Roth of the State Freedom Caucus Network. Andy, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me, Loman. As gas well production and the revenue from them declines, the Pittsburgh Airport Authority finds itself with less funding for airport operations. Frank Gamrad and Eric Montardi give us details on this Allegheny Institute report. Hello and welcome to the Allegheny Institute report on the Lincoln Institute Radio Journal. I'm Eric Montardi. Joining me today is the executive director of the Allegheny Institute, Frank Gamrat. Frank, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Eric. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Frank. As always, it's good to talk to you and share some of our research with our listeners, which they can always find at our website, www.alleghenyinstitute.org. And one of the topics that you've written about over the years is natural grass drilling and the shale impact fees. And a recent brief that you wrote about is there is drilling that's been going on for quite a while, and our listeners may not know about it, and that's at Pittsburgh International Airport. Can you give our listeners some background on how this arrangement came about, Mm -hmm. how long it's been in place, and what the financial arrangement is between the drillers and the airport? Absolutely. As most folks know, in Pennsylvania, we are blessed to be sitting on top of two shell formations, the Marcella Shell Formation and the Utica Shell Formation, and they're both a mile from Marcellus, I think two miles for Utica under the uh, crust of the earth. And so we've been using hydraulic fracturing to, to unlock the, the gas from the shale when it comes out. And Pennsylvania has done quite well with this natural resource. And as you mentioned, there's there have been uh, impact fees that have been collected uh, since 2011. And this year, in uh, of course, 2022, they're anticipating a record number of impact fees to be paid as the price of natural gas has has jumped and and as we speak it's like six dollars and 58 cents per uh, mcf a thousand cubic feet of gas that's coming out of the ground it's the highest price that it's been since they started fracturing they're looking for big things and of course we don't know that exact number till through the first second quarter of uh, 23 a lot of people taking advantage of this and 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 Allegheny county airport authority is no different uh, they have all these thousands of acres around the airport property and they decided 
to enter into a gas lease with uh, CNX uh, Incorporated in 2013, and they got about $45 million in bonus payments up front. Now, that's, that's a lot of money no matter who you are. Now, a lot of people have asked me when I talk about this, well, are they near the runways? No, they're not anywhere near the runways. The FAA would not let drilling near the airport operations. This is in property way off on the side that, that's just not usable for, for runways. They also have warehouses and some industrial buildings on the edges of the property as well. So it's just general property that they own. And so they entered into this agreement and the thought was, if you make money on the airport, the FAA uh, di- dictates that you must spend it at the airport. So the thought was, well, we'll use this to lower uh, airline fees. And they did that at first. There's two fees we like to look at. One's a landing fee, and that's you know per tonnage, and then uh, terminal fees. But then they came up with an idea that, hey, I know, let's use some of this money for an airport expansion. We want to build a new terminal. The old terminal built in 1992 at the specifications of U.S. Airways, which is now defunct, merged with American Airlines a handful of years ago. Let's use it for that. So that's sort of uh, where the impetus was for the gas lease and how they planned on using the money. How many wells are there currently that are on the airport property and how has that changed in recent years? In 2014, they decided to start drilling, and they drilled 14 wells that year. And those wells all became fairly productive fairly quickly. In 2015, they started 12 more wells, so they had a total of uh, 26 wells going for them. But interestingly enough, the wells in 2015 never produced. So you had the 14 that did produce and the 12 that didn't produce. It, it was kind of weird. The production, and, and what people have to remember is that gas is in a pool. And as that pool declines and gets pumped out of the ground, it it becomes empty. So when you look at production, you had in 2016, the first year these wells produced, 4.91 million cubic feet came out of the ground. In 2017, 19.9 million cubic feet. The peak was really 2018 at 22 million MCF, 1,000 cubic feet of gas came out of those wells, but then it started to decline. In 2022, we're estimating only 8.54 8.54 million MCFs will be coming out of the ground. And that was based on production reports through August of 2022. And so you saw this thing start to decline. But interestingly enough, the, the wells that were drilled in 2015, that the 12 never produced a single thing. And they ended up taking some offline. They took a couple offline in 2019. They took six offline. They took two more offline in 2022. They just plugged them up because they weren't producing. The production has really started to wane in a matter of, what, eight years. You know, you just, you just don't have much coming out anymore. You think that would be it, but it really wasn't because earlier in 2022, the airport authority went to CNX and said, can you drill again? The Utica shell. Let's see if we can't hit hit some more. And CNX came back and said, yeah, we can do that, but we want you to take post-production costs from your royalties. And so they agreed to it. Now, a lot of folks who have gas wells know what that means. You know, your royalties come out. And at first, the, the company was paying post-production costs, but now they're asking some leaseholders to pay for it out of the royalties. And, and the airport authority gladly agreed because they want that to continue. The, the thought from the airport director was, well, something's better than nothing. 
nothing. And they need this money to help with construction of the new terminal, which is already at $1.4 billion and growing. But when you look at the amount of money that they're getting, it, it's really just not much anymore. In 2013, as part of the bonuses, they got $7.14 million. Uh, when things started to pump out of the ground, when they started getting royalties, they got $26 million in 2016, which is part royalties, part bonus. And then in 2017, it fell to $19 million. And then again to $10 million. And, and then by 2020, it's $5.5 million. Now, it came up a little bit in, in 2021, $8.51 million. Part of that was not only are they getting royalties, CNX is paying a property lease, I guess, to kind of keep other competitors out. Uh, it's like 320000 what they call ground rent payments for undeveloped acreage so they can kind of continue this. Because again, there's, I'm sure there's more pools and they're counting on the Utica Shale Pool to be a little more productive for them. And one of the things that they had said that they were looking for was to, to take this type of gas and use use it in in jet engines that may someday, and I guess the technology's not here yet, to make natural gas jet engines. And they're sort of banking on that being the next thing in natural gas production. I mean, I guess one of the things to, to consider when you're looking at this is while the drilling was a nice little aspect to, to the airport's portfolio and really will do a nice job of, of helping to keep costs down at the airport, because they had been high, and we documented this in past policy briefs when you look at landing fees and terminal fees, they had been higher than a lot of comparable airports. It did a nice job of keeping them in check, but to rely on them to help pay for a $1.4 billion terminal is just unrealistic. You know, I guess something is better than nothing, as the, the director would say, but it's not going to make much of a difference in the construction of this new terminal, which we disagree with because the passenger accounts at Pittsburgh International Airport have just not even returned to pre-pandemic. And of course, that's an upcoming brief that our readers can keep an eye on as, as we keep an eye on what's happening at the airport. Frank, great stuff as always. We always tell our listeners they'd like to read this brief to visit our website, www www.alleghenyinstitute.org. For Frank Gamrat, this is Eric Montardi, and this has been the Allegheny Institute Report on the Lincoln Institute Radio Journal. A new session of the Pennsylvania General Assembly is set to begin, and it is an opportunity to make progress on a number of policy goals not accomplished during the recently ended session. Ashley Klingensmith from Americans for Prosperity Pennsylvania gives us details on this Lincoln Radio Journal Commentary. As we turn the calendar to a new month, it means that the 2021-2022 legislative session has come to a close. From extraordinary happenings like the passage of a constitutional amendment that limited gubernatorial powers during emergencies, to a hurried $2 billion tax credit program passing with virtually no notice or debate, this session has been defined by some high highs and low lows. We've seen similar fireworks on the political front, with scrutiny of the Pennsylvania electorate taking front seat in the national press. Well, now that the session is officially over, having ended November 30th, and the election results largely certified, 
we reckon with several unexpected realities that ensure Pennsylvania policymaking and politics will remain a subject of great attention. Few predicted that either chamber of the General Assembly in Harrisburg would change from Republican to Democrat control. But with the concession of Representative Stevens to Melissa Serrato, Democrats won the requisite 102 seats to control the State House of Representatives. However, with three of those 102 electoral wins vacated until a special election is held to fill them, most likely in the next primary election in May of 2023, the Republicans will have a numerical majority for the first few months of session. Both caucuses have elected their leadership teams and with many new members and the uncertainty of the timing around who will be in control, the stage is set for an exceptional 2023-2024 legislative session. What Americans for Prosperity is more confident about than ever is that policymaking opportunity is knocking and the legislature should answer. Partnership and conciliation can certainly be hard to find in Harrisburg. It wasn't too long ago that citizens and the media celebrated cooperation, but now it seems the harder the fight, the better. With such razor-thin majorities for the party in control, it will be increasingly necessary for courageous and unexpected collaboration. Americans for Prosperity will look to advance a number of reforms that have stalled but now have renewed opportunity with the novel operating environment in which we find Harrisburg. We'll look to advance a personal option by reviving two key reforms in the healthcare policy arena. First, telemedicine. Second, we'll work to advance legislation that grants advanced practice nurses the authority to practice to the full extent of their training, education, and expertise. A former co-sponsor of this Republican-authored legislation was Representative Austin Davis, the now Lieutenant Governor-elect. We look forward to having support in both chambers and in the executive branch to finally get this reform passed. Second, we'll work to advance smart on crime, soft on taxpayer reforms that have broad bipartisan support. Freeing our law enforcement to focus on the most serious crimes and criminals is needed now more than ever. By passing legislation that has boasted broad bipartisan support from some of the most conservative members of the legislature, like Representative Jones, to some of the most progressive, like Senator Haywood, we can signal that our Commonwealth is prioritizing an effective criminal justice system that protects people and preserves public safety. We can do this by passing probation reform, dignity for incarcerated women, and a number of additional measures that have stalled for too many consecutive sessions. We'll also work to see bills supported by groups like ours and the ACLU receive hearings, bills that defend our First Amendment rights fiercely and without compromise. These include measures like donor privacy and anti-slap legislation. Will request corporate welfare prohibition bills be considered in light of their co-sponsorship lists being as diverse as the incoming class of legislators? 
and most significantly, we'll expect a great deal of progress to be made through courageous collaboration. Whoever is the speaker and leader, at whatever time, the people of Pennsylvania deserve policymaking to occur and barriers to be lifted. Just as we've done throughout the 12 years of our chapter's existence, we will continue to look forward to uniting with anyone to do right and nobody to do wrong. I'm Ashley Klingensmith, State Director with Americans for Prosperity Pennsylvania. Find us on Facebook by searching at PAAFP and follow us on Twitter by searching at AFP Pennsylvania. If you miss hearing Lincoln Radio Journal on your favorite radio station, audio of our complete program is available on our websites, LincolnRadioJournal.com and LincolnInstitute.org. For 27 years, Lincoln Radio Journal has been heard on public affairs-minded radio stations throughout the Commonwealth, including WRYV-FM in State College, WRXV-FM in Huntington, along with WRWV-FM in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. The Lincoln Radio Journal is produced weekly by the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. The Lincoln Institute is completely funded through the generosity of individuals, corporations, and philanthropic foundations, including the Allegheny Foundation of Pittsburgh, the Houston Foundation of Coatesville, and the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, all of whom have helped to underwrite the costs of this program. Lincoln Radio Journal is a trademark of the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated, Comments and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Lincoln Institute or of this radio station. From the Lincoln Broadcast Center in Harrisburg, I'm Loman Henry. Thank you for listening to Pennsylvania's most widely broadcast public affairs radio program, Lincoln Radio Journal. Plug into the pulse of Pennsylvania.